You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Um, my name is Luke Hedinger. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And um, just a few announcements for you. If you're new with us this morning, we have uh, not a whole lot of announcements. It is Christmas, almost Christmas Eve, which I'm excited about. Um, and yeah, some of you guys, woo! All right, Christmas Eve. Um, and so we're excited. We, uh, the, the one thing that really this morning I want you to know about, if you're new with us, um, we have a lot of information about who we are as a church out at uh, what we call Info Central, where that big sign is on your way in. You might have seen it. Um, but there's, there's quite a few things out there that we would love to, to give you, just information about who we are as a church. Um, but this morning, I just let you guys know that uh, we, we, you guys know this already, but we, we signed a lease on a building, right? Remember that? Yeah? Okay. A lot of you guys have been in that space, uh, guys and gals uh, have been in that space, working hard, and it's, it's really coming together. I just encourage you, though, to continue praying over that because our hope is that we'll be in that space by uh, like the, the end of January. That is very overambitious. Um, and there's, there's a lot of things that need to happen, uh, a lot of uh, jackhammering and just a, a lot of stuff that needs to happen for that to, for that to take place. And we're working with the city and hoping that, that everything comes together. Um, but just continue to be praying with us in that. And, and guys, too, I would encourage us, you as a church, we have a lot of college students that aren't here um, at the moment because they've, they've gone home and they've, they've spread out. There's still a few here. Um, but let's, I just want to encourage you, continue praying over them. Because God has done some amazing things in the, lives, in the lives of our college students, the Salt Company this year. And as they go back home and different places, um, we're just praying that God just continues to work and move. Um, and yet break can sometimes be really difficult for new believers, for old believers too, right? Um, so just continue praying for them. Uh, at this time, though, I'm going to ask Joel and Rachel Wise. They're going to come up. And um, we've, this is Advent. We're, we're kind of in the middle of Advent season. And so I asked them if they'd come up and uh, read and pray for us this morning. Yes. Now you're good. I know, you're good. All right. We're in, uh, we're in John today, John 1, 14 to 16. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, it's an overwhelming concept to think that you, the God who was there at the beginning of creation, would take on flesh and come down and live in this world um, in a place that's broken and full of evil mm -hmm. and um, we know that you did it just to redeem us to yourselves, and we thank you for that. And we pray that um, on Christmas we would keep that in mind and take it to heart. And we pray this morning that as Luke speaks through this passage, that the reality of your humanity um, along with your deity would um, impact us and change our thinking and our hearts and our minds. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. As... Um yeah, as we think about what this, what this season means, um, it, it is, I'm, I am excited. I, I said this just a few minutes ago, but I, I'm excited. I love Christmas, right? I love Christmas. And I think over the past few weeks, I've asked my kids probably at least 20 times a day, I'll say, Jackson, Elena, 
can you guys believe? Can you believe that it's almost Christmas? And they're getting to the point now where they're like, no, Dad, we can't believe it. It's, it's crazy. And I'm like, I can't believe it's almost Christmas. And, and for me, I, I love, I'm one of these people that I just love, uh, I love my traditions. I love, um, I love especially like Christmas movies. I love engaging with stories about Christmas. And almost for me, I get to the point sometimes where if, if I don't see a Christmas movie or certain Christmas movies, it's almost like, well, it's not Christmas then. Right? It's not, or at least it's not yet. Are you guys with me? Anybody? Like what, what are some, there's, there's not very many of us here this morning, so there's a lot of people gone. So we can be interactive, right? That, that gives us permission to be interactive. So, so for you guys, what would be some of the, those Christmas stories where it's like, this is, I got to watch this, or I got to interact with this? Die Hard. Die hard. <laughs> all right, all right, Die Hard. There you go, Die Hard. Well, I heard one over here. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that because It's a Wonderful Life is, is no matter what Christmas movie you were going to say, that is the best one, right? We can say that. And that's not just my opinion. That's fact. Absolutely, right. If, if you are here this morning and you're like, I don't know about that. Well, you're wrong. So that's, but that's okay. That's okay. This is a good place for you. What, what other stories do you guys just love? Elf, yeah, Elf. I was talking to someone, who was I talking to the other day? They're like, I don't, it was Rachel. Rachel was like, I don't get it. I don't, it's not funny. It's like, I'm sorry, you're wrong too, right? I mean, <laughs> that is funny. There's, there's all the, how many of you in here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you step out on a limb and I'm going to make you admit something. Are you ready for this? How many of you are, are those people that you're like, I, I love the Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, we have one, two, yeah. All right. So, so it's it's funny to me because uh, my mom, my mom's in that camp too, and it's like she she's always like, oh, this is such a good movie. It's like, mom, it's the same one that was just on. It's just a different name, different people, but it's the same. It's the same. I, I, you know what? That's okay though. That's I'm glad you guys like that and you admit that. That's that's okay. But but there's all these there's these stories, right? We I love I love Christmas stories and not only Christmas stories and Christmas movies, but but all the traditions of Christmas. Like we we made a bunch of Christmas candy. That I think there's some of it out there. My, I just saw my kids eating way more than they should have been. But uh, we made we made some Christmas candy yesterday and uh, or the day before. And with it, I, I just love traditions. And yet at times, if you're anything like me, there's times where those stories and those traditions they can kind of cloud out what it actually means to celebrate what we're actually celebrating. And not that, not that I forget, right? Not that I forget that, well, the reason for the season is Jesus, right? We, we, all, we all know that. But there's times where, where the stories that we interact with and the things where it's like, well, it's not Christmas unless this. It's not really Christmas. I don't really feel it unless this. That, it, it just kind of gets in the way of, of the real, can I say, gospel of Christmas. And when I say gospel, I mean the good news story of Christmas, which is what we're talking about this morning, which is God became Man, Jesus became flesh. He, he became man. God put flesh on. And, and the word for that is incarnation. That's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the incarnation. And, and maybe, maybe you're like, that's kind of a churchy word. And maybe even as I say that word, you just kind of like, you're like, uh, theology. I don't really like theology. I don't go that deep or, or whatever. But, and maybe you just kind of gloss over it because it's like, that's not a word I hear. But, but, but 
the idea of incarnation, we've heard it before, like if you've ever, if you've ever eaten chili con carne, right? Have you have ever heard of that? Con carne. It means with meat. It's like chili with meat, which to me is an oxymoron, because if I'm eating chili and it doesn't have meat, it's not really chili, right? Amen. There we go, right? But, but at the same time, it's like this idea with meat, incarnation, incarn- it, it is God with flesh on. And again, when we talk about this, maybe for you, it's, it's like, okay, I, I get it. I understand that. I've heard this before. But what does that really have to do with me? What does that really have to do with my everyday life? It's like my conversations I've been having lately with my, my son about algebra. You know, and, and he'll, like, I'm like, buddy, you got to do your homework. You got you to gotta do your math homework. You got to do your algebra. And he'll be like, well, when's the last time you ever used algebra? Have you ever had, had that conversation with your kids? And I remember talking to my parents about algebra too, and, and I'd be I'd kind of saying the same thing. And it's like, I don't know when the last time I used algebra was. And the other day he was like, well, Dad, do you know the, some equation or law or whatever? I'm like, no, I don't. I'm sure I could probably figure it out if I had enough time. And he's like, well, why do I need to know it? Really, the only answer I have right now is because. Which I know as a parent that's not a good answer, but it's, I mean, the reality is it's like you're in the class. And I told him the other day, if, if you get out of the class, you don't want to use it again, fine. You don't have to. But right now, this is what you do. And I think lots of times when we think about terms and, and thoughts like about incarnation, it can feel the same. Where it's like, what does this have to do with my everyday? I know I need to have some kind of concept about it, but really it doesn't matter unless I'm going to be tested about it. Uh, really, that this doesn't have implications. And yet what I want you to understand this morning, if you only walk away with one thing, other than the fact that It's a Wonderful Life is the best Christmas movie, if you, if you walk away with the, the other thing this morning, is that God became man so that man can be with God. God became a person so that people can be with God. Right? And when we begin to understand that, when we begin to, to, to see God through that lens, it changes us. When we, begin to, when we begin to understand the implications of the fact that God became man so that men can be mankind, so God became a person so that people could be with God, it changes things, doesn't it? It changes us. It has implications for our everyday, not just church. Not just, not just maybe one sermon uh, when it's close to Christmas. has implications. And I, before, we, before we jump into the passage, I do just want to pray over us and, and just ask God to, to meet us in this place. God, I, I do, as I, as I say these words, God, I just, I feel the, uh, God, I feel my own weakness and I feel my own inabilities. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would just meet us in this place. As, as what's already been prayed, God, I pray that you would just uh, give me the gift of teaching. And, God, help us to hear the words that you would have us hear. And it's in your name. Amen. Amen. What, what I want to look at first is this, this passage that Joel and Rachel read, John chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. It says, in the, it says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's just stop there. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The, the first thing what I want us to understand is that John is going back to this title, this name of Jesus, the word. And if you were here last week, I'm not going to re-preach Todd's message. You should go online, listen to it. He, he covers this. But what John is wanting us to understand, first and foremost, he's saying, I want you to understand who I'm talking about. I, I, I want to go back to this, this title, the word. And what he's saying is that, that who we're talking about is God, the Word, the, the God who created, 
God who, who is eternal, God who, who creates something from nothing, who brings light into darkness. That's who we're talking about. The Word became flesh. The word Jesus, this isn't just a good moral teacher. This isn't just a good example. I love C.S. Lewis, and it's not a direct quote, but, but C.S. Lewis talks about how Jesus didn't leave it up to us to define who Jesus was. Right? He didn't leave that up to us. So many times people will say, well, Jesus was a good moral teacher. Jesus was a good example, all those different things. No, if Jesus was not God, then Jesus was a liar or a madman. Either way, not a good example to follow. Right? Because Jesus himself calls himself God. When, when, he, was, when he was being scrutinized, when he was being, uh, I, words are failing me, when, when he was being questioned by the Pharisees, they asked, who are you? And he says, before Abraham was, I am. Do you remember how the Pharisees reacted in that moment? They flipped out, like they lost it. They tore their clothes. I've never been in a situation where I've been just lost, lost my mind to where I just tear my shirts. Like, ah, you know, I can't think of anything. And I just, they tore their clothes. And the reason is because what God, what Jesus was saying is that he uses the same word that God gave to Moses through that burning bush. When Moses says, who will I say sent me? He says, tell them I am has sent you. And Jesus says, I am. And they couldn't deal with the fact that Jesus is calling himself God. And John is wanting us to understand that, that we don't get to define who Jesus is. And he's saying, let's, let's, let's be clear about who we're talking about. This is God. And what does God do? The word became flesh. The word became flesh. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. I have it up on the screen. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Let's just stop there. You see, this idea of God, Jesus, did not see equality with God a thing to be grasped, and yet it says he emptied himself. Now, this has implications for his divine nature, but I think even more than that, it has implications for his divine glory. I mean, if you think about this, the, the fact of this, if you think about what's happening here, it says that he left heaven, he emptied himself, taking on the form of what? Servant. There we go, this, that interaction thing, right? Taking on the form of a servant. If, if you think about that, think about, like, no matter what your theology is about heaven, we all believe that heaven is better than here, right? Some people are like, oh, heaven's going to be where I hang out with my my family for eternity, or heaven's going to be a place where I get to fish for eternity, or I get, it's an endless shopping mall, which that sounds like the other place to me, but like, you know, like there, there's all these thoughts, and no matter how messed up your, your theology about heaven is, which we have some pretty messed up theology when it comes to heaven, but we can all agree that it's better than here. And yet what we see in scripture is that Jesus emptied himself, he, he left that place to come to this place. He, he left God, he left the presence of God, he left, he left his home in heaven to become a servant for us. He became a baby, I mean, if you, if you think about it, it just layers on layers. He became a baby. Not only, like I, I was reading the other day this, this quote by this guy that says that the infinite became an infant. I mean, I was holding the Fleers baby uh, a while ago, and even though that baby is huge, right, like... <laughs> 
10 pounds. Like, this is a big baby. But even that baby, it's like I was holding him. I'm like, holy cow, this is like a bicep workout right here. But, but it was crazy how it's like so dependent. This little life is so dependent on me right now. Not only did God become a baby, but, be, but he became a baby born to a teenage un, unwed mother. Like if you think about the ridiculousness of this situation. Sometimes we just, we see the nativity scenes and it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense, right? That that, that would be how it happened. But not only was he born to a teenage unwed mother, but he was raised in a, in a town that people just, it was like a throwaway town. Nazareth? Ugh. It, it, we see this in John chapter 1, 45 through 46, when, when Jesus asked Philip to be one of his disciples, it says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. That would be like me growing up in Brashear, Missouri, and, and there is like these, this town called Novinger right next to us. Like, like people, like we had, a, we had a student, I was a terrible kid. And when I started telling stories, I'm like, oh, I was the worst. But we had people that, like this one kid that moved from Novinger to Brashear. And when, I, when we found out, it's like, oh, we have a new kid. Oh, where's he from? Novinger. It's like, ugh, oh, man. Can anything good come out of Novinger? The answer is no, right? It, it would be like Mizzou uh, looking at Lawrence, Kansas. Right? Can anything good come out of Lawrence, Kansas? No, right? Yeah, some of you are like, all right, I understand what you're saying. That hits home. You see, what Jesus did was he entered into, he, the creator entered into creation, making himself low, making himself a servant. And what did he do? The word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. That word dwelt, it, it literally translates to this, this idea of tabernacled. And if you, if you were with us when we were preaching through Exodus, you, you remember this, this sermon. I think Todd preached it where it's like God desired to be with his people. And so as they're camping in the wilderness, God's like, guess what? I'm moving in. I'm going to set up my tent with you. And, and this huge tent, this tabernacle, this dwelling place of God was set up in the midst of God's people. And, and they set it up, and it had to be this specific way. And, and the, the glory of God would come down on the tabernacle, and then Moses would go in, and he'd, he'd kind of commune with God. And the priests would go, in, and they'd talk to God, and then they'd come out and be like, hey, this is what God says. And it's crazy. That God would dwell with his people, and yet this is one step further, that, that, that God would dwell among his people in the form of a person. It goes further than that. Jesus entered into the human experience. He was all into it. it I, I heard a guy speaking one time where he was saying, you know what God could have done was he could have like, just been around when people were up you know, like doing stuff. He could have been interacting with them, and then like as soon as people fell asleep, he could have been like, zoop, back up to heaven and like just hung out, right? Like he could have done that. And, and when John was, was, was writing, there were people back who would have been familiar with Hellenists and Hellenistic Jews and Gentiles who were influenced by uh, Greek and Roman uh, gods and culture where they would have heard a lot of stories about gods just hanging out with man. And he's saying, that's not this. That's not what this is. Like, have you, ever been, have you ever been camping to a place that's close to your home? Have you ever done that before? 
first of all, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Where it's like, I'm not going away. I'm just going like five miles outside of town. And, and it's fun to do all the camping stuff, like roast marshmallows and hike and maybe fish and do all that stuff. But when people are getting their, their, uh, their bedding out for the night and laying on the hard ground, it's such a relief and a blessing to be like, hey, guys, I'll be back in the morning, but my house is right there. Like, I'm... I'll be, I'm going to go home and sleep in my bed with my wife. Like, I'm not, you know, not going to be here. And that's what Jesus could have done, and that's not what he did, though. He dwelt among us. The word, God, became flesh, man. God became a person. So why? So that people can be with God. See, and we see that in, in the what. That's the why. But the what? Or the, the why, that's the what, the why. Hebrews 4, 14 through 15, the author of Hebrews says it this way. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. You see, the author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus, the God-man, God becoming man, God becoming a person. And he's saying he is our high priest who what? Who, who knows our weaknesses. It says, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. When you think about the why behind the what, the why behind the incarnation, and you think about this idea that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin, think about the implications of that. This morning, as you sit in those chairs, like think about the things that, that you struggle with. Think about the temptations that you have. I, I think sometimes whether it's Whatever it is on your list of temptations, that thing in the back of your mind where it just seems like it's always there and it seems like it's always tempting, it seems like it's whether it's to, to make yourself better than you actually are, whether it's to lie, whether it's to cheat, whether it's to, to I, I don't know, I don't know what the fill in the blank for you. Lust, gluttony. I think there are times in, in our human experience where it feels like no one can understand what it is that I'm going through. Like, have you ever been in that place where it's like, oh, I did it again, and ah, why do I do these things? Why is this temptation seems to, as soon as I'm tempted, it feels like I'm defeated, and yet we need to understand temptation is not defeat. And yet, at times, it feels as though no one can understand what I'm going through. No one can, can possibly understand, because if they did, they'd know why I live in this situation. They'd know why I was in this relationship. They'd know why X, Y, Z. They'd know why I did these things. But we feel like we're alone, and yet what we see is the author of Hebrews says we are not alone because Jesus, the God who became man, knows our weaknesses because he was tempted in every respect just as we are, yet is without sin. He knows you're tempted. He knows your weaknesses. And this isn't just a, like a, a pep talk. This isn't the author of Hebrews isn't saying Jesus did it, so, I mean, what's, what's the problem? Come on, get better, do better, be better. He's not saying that. That's, that's kind of the problem with like the whole WWJD thing. I, I'll show my age. I used to have a WWJD bracelet. Anybody else? No. Okay. Yeah, all right. You guys had those. The problem with the w, I, and I get it, right? I understand, like, if you want to hit your sister, it's like the idea is like as you're swinging, it's like, oh, I see my bracelets. What would, would Jesus do this? No. Okay, stop, right? Like, <laughs> 
the, the idea is what would Jesus do in this moment? But, but if you boil that down, the, the answer is, okay, you want to know what would Jesus do? Jesus would live a, a, a perfect, sinless life before a holy, righteous God. He would love his enemies to the point that he would die for them so that they could have perfect relationship with him. So, okay, therefore, yeah, go, go ahead and do that. Why don't you, why don't you, no amount of bracelets can help us do what Jesus did. That's kind of the point, isn't it? Kind of the point is that we as sinful people have sinned not only against each other, but with God. You see, in, in 1 Samuel, it asks this question, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? See, the idea is there, if, if I go out and, and I, like, I borrow Doug's chainsaw or whatever, and, and I'm not negligent, and I leave it out in the rain, and I, and I ruin his chainsaw, and Doug's really angry with me because Doug is very emotional, right? I'm kidding. I'm kidding, right? But, but if Doug is really mad at me, then, then we can find a mediator. Like maybe Stan or, or like if it gets really bad, we go to Judge Judy or somebody, you know, and, and, and there can be a mediator who stands above our situation and is able to mediate between the two of us. But the question that's presented here is we don't just sin against each other. When we break the laws of God, when we sin, it is against God. And so therefore, who can be above that? Who can mediate between us and God? Who can, be, who can be higher than God? And the answer is no one except for Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. You see, the why behind the, the incarnation is that we need a mediator, and we have one. Jesus, God, became a person so that people can be with God, and the reason we can be with God is because God, Jesus, knows our weaknesses. He lived the perfect life, and, and when we think about this, when we think about Jesus paying the price for our sins, we think immediately of the cross, which is, which is great, which is good, but not only did he die for our sins, but he lived for our sins as well. He lived the perfect life. And what that means is if you think about Scripture, you think about all the laws and the, the rules and, and, the, and the things that we break. I mean, think about the fact that, that uh, it, the Bible says pray continuously. <laughs> okay. I mean, how many of you are like, oh, I nailed it, right? I have prayed continuously from the point of my birth. How many? No, nobody. Right? And if, and if you're like, well, I do pretty good at that. I mean, I, I pray a lot. And it's like, a lot is not continuously. Like, if you've ever broken that, then you've not prayed continuously. Not only that, but it says, like, I mean, just think about the commandments. Do not lie. Do not cheat. Obey your father or mother. You think about all the commandments. You think about the fact that, I mean, we just went through James, and in James it says, do not show partiality. You see, all these rules, all these laws, it says in James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. You see, we stand guilty and condemned, not just because of the sins that we've committed, but because of our inability to live the life that God has, has required for us to live. And yet enter Jesus, who lived the perfect sinless life. Therefore, we have righteousness because it is imputed or imparted to us. It's like if my account was drained and yet somebody comes along and says, hey, let me, let me help you out. And he just floods my bank account with billions of dollars. It's credited to me now. 
I, I didn't earn it. I didn't, I didn't do anything for it, but it's mine now, and I get to receive that. And yet not only did he live the perfect life, but he died the death. He paid for, for my sins. It says in, in Hebrews 2, 17 through 18, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, that word propitiation, that's, a, that's another like theological word that maybe you're like, propitiate, I don't even know how to say that. But it's like, the, it's, what it literally means is a wrath-diverting sacrifice. A wrath-diverting sacrifice. You see, because we lived a sinful life, we have sinned against God, and no one can mediate that except for Jesus. There had to be blood shed because of the sins that we committed. We see that all throughout Scripture. A perfect sacrifice had to be made so that the wrath we deserved could be placed on him so that we wouldn't receive that. But God is just. God is just, not only merciful. And so he couldn't just look the other way. He couldn't just say, oh, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you're fine. Come on in. Let's just overlook that. Because he wouldn't be just then. As we were, as we were talking about that, this, this story came to mind of, of a merciful king. And, and some of you have heard this before, this illustration. But I think it, it really hits home, so I want to read it for you. And it says, once upon a time in a kingdom far, far away, there lived a great king. He was simultaneously the most powerful man in the kingdom, as well as the kindest and gentlest man in the whole realm. The kingdom was known for its peace, harmony, and goodwill. Neighbors cherished one another, and years would pass without a single crime being committed. One day, however, the chief servant of the merciful king came into the throne room with ill tidings. There's a thief in the realm of your kingdom, sire, said the servant. The king was astonished. Find that thief, and when you do, bring him to me. He will be punished with ten lashes. Those in the room were astonished as well. It had been so long since a crime had been committed, they could hardly imagine who would have done such a thing. A week went by, and the servant again made his way into the throne room. I have bad news for you, sire, quietly reported the servant. The thief has not been found, and he continues to rob from your people. In anger, the king raised his voice and said, Find the thief, and when you do, he will receive 25 lashes. The people began to murmur among themselves, Who could withstand such a punishment? Who could possibly be committing such a crime? As time went on, the servant once again came back into the throne room with yet another bad report. Your majesty, the thief has not been found. We have searched in vain for him. Your people are still being robbed. The king was enraged. Find that wretched thief, and when you do, his punishment will be 50 lashes. Now the people were filled with dread. They were not even sure the king himself could withstand such a punishment. And if he could not, then certainly no one else could. Who could be doing such a thing? Soon afterward, the servant again approached the king in his throne room. His face was pale and his voice timid and hollow. Your highness, spoke the servant, the thief has been found. Bring him to me this instant, cried the king. The crowd that had poured into the throne room slowly parted, revealing the thief who now stood trembling in the middle of the room. To the utter shock and dismay of all, it was the king's aged mother. There she stood, trembling and crying. Her small and frail body was shaking with fear and shame. She was perhaps the very last soul that anyone would have suspected of such a crime. And there stood the king in shock and deeply wounded. 
crowd began to wonder and murmur among themselves, what will the merciful king do? Will he set aside the law and display his love and mercy by forgiving his mother for her crimes, or will he display his sovereignty and justice by giving her exactly what she deserved? Will he choose mercy, or will he choose justice? The king raised his hand to quiet the crowd. Bring the whipping post, he said. The crowd was dumbfounded. Would the king truly have his mother receive such a punishment? Even the king could scarcely survive such a flogging. This frail woman would not last even a few strokes. The old woman was tied to the post. Her garment was rent, exposing her back to the whipmaster. Her ribs could be counted for her frailty. Administer the lashes, said the king. And not a sound could be heard as the whip was raised. But just as the whipmaster was about to unleash his first stroke, the king cried, Halt! The crowd sighed in utter relief, but the feeling did not last for long. The king stood from his throne. He slowly removed the crown from his head, laying it upon the regal seat. As he began to walk down the stairs towards his mother, he laid aside his royal robe and finely woven tunic. Coming to his mother, he wrapped his enormous body around her, completely enveloping her under his frame. The king spoke, now administer the lashes. Thus, in one act, did the king display pure mercy and perfect justice. See, that is what Jesus did. That's the why behind the incarnation. That God became a person. Why? Because we could not be with God. We could not have any mediator because we broke relationship with him. And so he came to restore that relationship. Not by setting aside his justice, but by meeting his justice, by taking on himself the wrath of God, the propitiation for our sins. So the question is, what now? We talked about the what, we talked about the why, but, but what now? And the author of Hebrews says it this way again in chapter 4, 16, says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, the question, what now, in light of, of the incarnation, in light of God becoming a person so that people can be with God, the author of Hebrews answers it and says, what now, what now? We can see the throne of God not being just a throne of wrath, but a throne of grace and mercy. We can see the presence of God not just being a place where, where sin is, is highlighted and it has to be dealt with, but, but it's where it has been dealt with. And there in his presence, we can find wholeness and peace and healing. It reminds me of when I, when I first started driving, I, uh, I was working, I think I was 16, I was working at my dad's salvage yard. He owned it right outside of Brashear, Missouri. And I can remember one day, it was in the summertime, it was a long day of work in which every day at the salvage yard was a long day of working. Um, and and I, I remember I had one more thing to do before I could leave. And I, I was going to get ready and go clean up and go hang out with my friends. It was a weekend. And so I had to go get a battery downtown Brashear. And so I jumped into dad's truck that he had just got finished. Like this truck just got finished. It was an older truck, stick shift, um, really pretty truck, and, and I, I drove it downtown, parked on this hill, uh, jumped out, I think I even left it running, jumped out, ran across the street to grab the battery, I grabbed the battery, walked out of the, the shop, and I looked, and the truck was gone. <laughs> and I was like, who stole my truck? Like, who would, I, live in, I, I lived in a town of 280, 280 people. Like, and I was, I was asking, like, who would have stolen the truck? And all of a sudden, I saw people running out of the corner of my eye. And, I, and it was kind of one of those slow motion moments where I just turned 
and it was like everything, like I just died. Because <laughs> there off to, the, off to the side was the truck in the ditch. See, what had happened was I jumped, when I jumped out of the truck, somehow it must have popped out of gear because I wouldn't have left it in neutral, obviously. But uh, it, it rolled down the hill, and the, the steering wheel was turned, so it rolled down the hill across Highway 63, which is a busy highway. Praise God, nobody got hit. And it hit this, this uh, it ran off in the ditch, but, but the real problem was this ditch was full of trees that had been cut off about hip high. And so their stumps were still there. And one of those stumps caught my dad's truck on the back right corner of the, of the bed of the truck and opened it up like a can opener clear to the cab, like, like rolled it like the metal. It was crazy. And as I, as I began to, the shock of what I was going through, <laughs> like, began to register, it was like a Ralphie moment in, like, uh, the, a Christmas story where it's like expletives just start pouring out my mouth. Like, and I was just like, somehow, like, I got calmed down and I got back to the salvage yard. I don't even, that, like, all that part's a blur. I just remember my dad wasn't there, my mom was, and I just told my mom, Mom, I can't go home. I can't go home. I can't, I can't see dad. Like, I can't. I, I can't withstand the wrath. Like, it was like worst case scenarios were playing through my mind, especially because in that time period of my life, I was in the midst of my rebellion. My relationship with my dad was terrible because I was sinning constantly against my dad. And I told my mom, I can't go home. And I think at times, when we don't understand the fact that God became a person so that people can be with God, we can have the same mindset when it comes to God. Because of our sin, because of the things that we've done, we see God still as this unapproachable enemy. And let me, let me be clear, when we are still in our sin, he is against us. But he is for us in the fact that he has offered salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we understand the message, the true gospel message of Christmas, when we understand that, then we can submit ourselves to that. We can come to him, and not only is his, is his throne, I mean, we're not bringing his throne lower, but he has brought us higher because of what he did. When we begin to see, Todd, Todd said last week, when we, the, the thing, whatever we believe about Jesus is the most important thing about us. And when we see Jesus through this lens, we see the throne of God as a throne of grace and mercy. Right? When we see Jesus as not just the baby in the nativity doing that weird thing with his hands, which is like, a baby doesn't do that. I'm sorry. Right? But when we see Jesus as not only the baby in the nativity, but, but as the actual man who actually grew up, who actually lived a life, who actually wore sandals on actual feet, who actually experienced pain and loss and separation, who actually experienced all the temptations that we experienced and yet was without sin, then we can see that he is the God who actually gives people who are hopeless, who are actual babies, who are actually growing, who are actually living, who actually wear shoes, who are actually in the midst of hopelessness and loss and separation, we can see that he is the God who says, come to me, all you who are weary, tired, and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. So this morning, I want to ask you, how do you see God? How do you see God? Is he the God who that you can go to? And, like, and you, don't, you don't have to clean yourself up 
I, I've talked to other people before where it's like, well, I would, I'd love to get back into church, but I got some stuff in my life I got to take care of. <laughs> no, ah, you missed the point. Do you see the God who came to be a person? Do you see him like that so that people can be with God? Because when we do that, we get to experience God and relationship. Not only do we, do we get to experience, but I, I was reading um, Ezekiel 37, 27 through 28 says this. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. You see, not only when we see God this way, when we see God becoming a person so that people can be with God, do we get to experience God? God, but when we do that, it puts God on display. When we see God who is bigger than our temptations, when we see a God who is bigger than our weaknesses, when we see God who, who offers healing in the midst of brokenness, it, it offers other people a God who is bigger than their temptations. It offers other people a God who, who brings help in times of weaknesses. It, it, it tells other people about the goodness of God, and it puts them on display. So this morning, again, my question for you is, do you see God that way? Because when we believe that God became a person, then we believe that people can be with God. So no matter what Christmas stories you engage with this, this Christmas season, no matter what traditions, my prayer for us as people is that we would not forget that. And this morning, what we're going to do, what we do at Anthem almost every Sunday is we respond with communion. And this morning, as, as the band comes up, they're going to they're gonna start playing. And what we're going to do, what we do most, most every, every week, is we take time and we respond. And we, the communion tables, there's, there's tables set up uh, around the room. It looks like there's gluten-free in the back two corners if you need that. But what we're going to do now is we're, we're going to respond. And maybe for you, you're still in that place where you're still in the midst of your sin. You're still, you're still in that place where you were like me when I was 16, telling my mom, I can't go home because all I see is wrath. All I see is, is a God who is just going to crush me if I submit myself to him. And that's how you see God. But Anthem Church, what I want us to understand as we go to this communion table, what I want us to be reminded of is that Jesus was a man who gave his body broken for you, gave his blood for you so that you could be with God. So what we're going to do as we go to these tables, as the band plays, whenever you're ready, we're going to go to these tables and we're going we're to tear off a piece of bread, which it represents his body, real flesh and blood body that was given, that was broken for you. And we're going to dip it in the cup, which represents his blood, real blood that was poured out for you so that he could be the propitiation, the wrath-diverting sacrifice for you. And what I want us to do is I just want us to, to thank God for that. And maybe for you, as you go to that communion table, for you, you need to preach that message again to yourself. You need to preach that message again to yourself because you are so far from God. Maybe that's you this morning. So I don't know where you are, but as we go to this table, my prayer is that you would experience again a God that became a person so that we as people can be with him. Let's, let's pray. God, I, I praise you and I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. 
God, I praise you that you are the merciful king who, who in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our brokenness, you didn't just turn away. You didn't just, just set aside your justice. But God, you covered us. Jesus, your blood, your body, you covered us so that now we can be with you. I pray that you would just continue to preach that message to us over this Christmas season. Help us to remember who you truly are and help us to put you on display, God. It's in your name.